May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie <laughs> dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. Game week number nine underway here in Happy Valley. We spent a lot of time on the last couple episodes of this podcast reviewing what took place in Beaver Stadium last Saturday, a 33-24 victory for Penn State over Indiana. Certainly dramatic. Uh, We've covered enough ground on that one. We're going to turn the page, look ahead toward Maryland just a bit today. James Franklin helped us do that with a Tuesday press conference over in Beaver Stadium. We are fresh out of that, Daniel Gallen and I. Daniel will join in just a second. You'll also hear from Tyler Calvaruso, our resident recruiting insider on this episode of the podcast. We'll catch up on the latest from the recruiting trail. Some visitors came through a Happy Valley last Saturday for that Indiana matchup. We'll talk about some of the feedback, a new in-state offer that came out of that as well. And there's a lot brewing in New England these days for the Nittany Lions in the recruiting world. It's been good to them in the last few cycles as well. We'll turn our attention up there and we'll finish out with Tyler Calvaruso by taking a closer look at the 2023 Penn State recruiting class and what its impact has looked like on the field thus far. But as promised, Daniel Gallon returns to the podcast right now. And Daniel, we're into week number nine on this Penn State season, and you'd imagine there wouldn't be a whole lot of secrets left about a program we've been covering day to day to day since the first week of August. And yet, here we are, 7-1. The first day of November is Wednesday. We'll be back on the practice field for it. We'll get a longer look. There are some personnel things to keep an eye on, but there are some very serious answers we still need from this Penn State squad to learn if they are ready to buckle up and take us on a push toward college football playoff contention. Exactly. It, it feels like that we're still kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. In a couple cases, we're, we're still waiting for you know breakouts here and there. We're, we're still waiting for certain different certain things to come through. And I think as we talked a little bit about Monday, it's starting to get late, uh, kind of early for for some of these things. Uh, it might be kind of what Penn State has been these first eight games is what they are, and not much will change. But uh, we'll see what happens on Saturday at Maryland. I think that coming out of this news conference with James Franklin, we have a couple a couple interesting things to keep an eye on these next couple of days, especially with regards to the injury front. Um, he was asked directly about Trey Wallace, Harrison Wallace, the redshirt sophomore wide receiver whose arm was in a sling. No update there from James Franklin. Um, typically, James Franklin will tell us if something is season-ending. Uh, he did not do that there. So that filed that one into the wait-and-see uh, column. And then it sounds like we're going to see Caden Wallace, the right tackle, this weekend, even though James Franklin also said that Drew Shelton will play. So I think you know, we'll get out there Wednesday night. We'll be able to see who's there, who isn't. Um, and I feel like a, a week ago or two weeks ago, going into Ohio State, we were talking about how great the health situation was for the Nittany Lions and how things were setting up nicely. Now those bumps and bruises are, are starting to build up a little bit. So it's going to be interesting to see how these next couple of days play out. 
Yeah, that's football for you. I mean, uh, remember what they looked like uh, last November. No Olufashinu, no Caden Wallace. They won every game, and they did it convincingly. So we'll see if they have the roster depth to deal with some of this. Certainly have some questions about that at wide receiver. We'll talk about that situation in a moment. But with Caden Wallace, if I recall correctly, when I brought up the names of guys who are kind of floating in the air right now entering the week and, and their designation for injuries, you pointed to Caden Wallace as kind of the, the, the most important one, the, the vocal point maybe this week. Um, so to get that positive report from James, you know, James Franklin isn't going to tell us that he expects a player to suit up on Saturday all the way on, on Tuesday unless he's very convinced of that. So I expect when we're out in practice on Wednesday evening that Caden Wallace will be repping out there with the offensive group. That's a great thing. He's playing the best ball of his career. He told us that uh, last week. I think if anyone has just been watching without having to really analyze the game, you have just maybe you haven't noticed Caden Wallace as much, and that's why you've realized that Caden Wallace is playing the best football of his career because he really is. It's his fourth year as a starting right tackle for this team. He stepped into that role as a freshman, as a redshirt freshman during that shortened 2020 pandemic campaign, and he has started every single Big 10 game for Penn State since then when healthy and available. Of course, he missed the month of November last year. So Drew Shelton's expected to be a factor in some sort. Maybe he'll get some rotational uh, work. We did not see him rotate in at all at Ohio State. It was the only game that Drew Shelton hasn't played going back to last year when he stepped up. Um, he did play 60-plus snaps in place of Caden Wallace. And how nice is it to be able to, to reach into a guy with starting experience in a moment like that and a game that proved very tight and have him at right tackle. Um, but Harrison Wallace here. Uh, this is one that we, we've discussed quite a bit here on the podcast. And I don't know if we have to rehash the whole conversation that we had on Monday when Mark Brennan joined us, but he has been touted as kind of the on-question starter alongside Keandre Lambert-Smith for a long time now. And the, the conversation in spring ball was Penn State was searching for a third guy to come on board. And and now James Franklin said they're, they're searching for a second guy right? you know, without without Harrison Wallace. There are no updates with Harrison Wallace. As you said, you can look at that through one of two ways, uh, one of which is we didn't hear James Franklin say he's going to play against Maryland. So we're, we're not quite where we are with Caden Wallace. But you also didn't hear James Franklin say, yeah, we're, we're going to miss Trey. He's done for the season. We look forward to getting him back healthy next year. So we're somewhere in between those two. Well, which end of the pendulum? Where does the pendulum land on, on those two sides? We'll still learn. But look, Harrison Wallace, you know, 15 catches, uh, 160 some receiving yards. Those are both second uh, among all receivers through these eight games. With him out of play, Malik McLean was the next man up, went 60 plus snaps against Indiana, saw one target along the way. That's his only target in the last you know, month and a half of football, essentially. And then you've got a lot of these other names, you know, Dante Cephas, the, the long awaited, you know, addition from Kent State. He still hasn't gotten to 40 receiving yards in a single game. He's had a few starts. He played 40 snaps last week. He had five targets, two, two catches, 15 yards. And those were the only production. Dante Cephas is 15 yards at that position beyond Keandre Lambert Smith. And so, Daniel, through two thirds of this season, when you've got Keandre Lambert Smith over 60 snaps and no other wide receiver at 25, uh, I'm sorry, over 60 targets on the season and no other wide receiver at even 25 targets in this room. And now you're taking Harrison Wallace out of the equation. This feels like yet another week where we may see this team hit the reset button. It felt like they did it last week. They decided not to play Liam Clifford, not to play Caden Saunders, not to play Omari Evans. They decided to get Malik Mega involved. It was the first time we've seen him on offense in Big Ten action all season long. And clearly they decided to roll out Malik McLean and stick with Malik McLean on Saturday when Harrison Wallace was not available. And yet the production was not there. Uh, and, and so I say it again. May be a situation where you're resetting this receiver 
outlook on you know the first Saturday of November, and that's never good. And we just got a lot of, of, of questions, and then you're starting to run out of time to come up with answers for them from this first-year position coach and Marcus Hagens in a room of unproven talent for the most part. It, it makes it tough because it's not like the the cupboard is bare. Like you you ran it down, I think, a couple of weeks ago when you talk about the eight scholarship guys, wide receivers that Penn State has added since January 2022 to that room. So it's not like you're it's not like last year where on the offensive line you get down to it and you're trying to save a red shirt and you have to play these walk ons in these these different spots here and there. I mean, there are scholarship guys that you know have been around for you know, two years, three years, um, you know, maybe even a, maybe less than that, um, but who came in with a track record uh, of success. So, uh, yeah, I think that we kind of have to go back to what we were hearing in the spring a little bit and what we were hearing in August from you know, James Franklin and Marcus Hagans that it was all about consistency. And I th- think that that's something that maybe can get to see practice we don't see too too much um but it came up it just keeps coming up and james franklin brought it up again today uh when when you asked him a question about you know you have all these players we didn't we'd seen some guys earlier this year who we didn't see on on saturday what how do you kind of evaluate those things and it came back to consistency and what Penn State is looking for at wide receiver. And James Franklin said there's some guys that can really catch the ball, but they can't make plays. There's guys that can make plays when they get the ball in their hands, but they have trouble getting the ball in their hands. So it's just hearing all this stuff from James Franklin. I, I like, you know, coming out of it, I, I don't really have a, a better idea of where things stand and who we could possibly see on Saturday, what it might look like. But I think given what they've talked about with what they say that Harrison Wallace means and uh, how they view him, I I do think they're going to have to hit that reset button again. And and I think that we're going to see a lot more. I mean, we've already seen a lot of two tight end sets, but I think that that's something that Penn State might have to lean on even a little bit more uh, based on what James Franklin was saying. Tyler Warren played 70 snaps on Saturday. That was a career high. He's over 40 snaps and I believe five or six of these games on the season. He did not hit 40 snaps in a single game last year. And of course, for much of the way, he was the third tight end. But you want to talk about a jump and a guy who has not left the field. That tandem at tight end, and you can maybe look toward the receiver room as part of the causation, but they are staying on the field for long stretches week by week. And uh, I just wonder, you know, the possibilities here. I know James Franklin you know, he's trying to, to talk around this in a way, and he, he's, he, he was pretty transparent about it after answering my question today, just saying he, you know, he has to walk a fine line and not embarrassing a player or talking about a player's shortcomings in a way publicly that he hasn't addressed with them privately. Um, he says he's very transparent. There's are hard conversations. You'd imagine there's been some hard conversations with those receivers with that group this year, trying to figure out where they are. Franklin's usually very hands-on with that uh, position unit on the practice field, generally speaking. Um, but, you know, you come out of this and, and it's just, it's tough. You had those 15 spring practices. You had all that uh, unofficial offseason summer work where these receivers are gathering with the tight ends and with the quarterbacks. And then you've got the official month of preseason camp and, You've got a bit of a soft landing with some of the, the way that the games went in September and through mid-October with, with blowouts and getting longer looks at guys here and there. And, yes, you had the Harrison Wallace injury. And, yes, you had uh, Evans entering the season a little banged up. But now you've got all that collected opportunities to get eyeballs on these guys and try to wrap your eye around, wrap your mind around 
who they are as, as receiver profiles right now. And it just seems like even the head coach doesn't have a good feel for what he's got in that room beyond the number one guy who's you know already set career highs for receptions and, and catch it, uh, receptions and receiving yards in Calgary Lambert Smith. But it's kind of startling just when you think about you know how hands-on James Franklin is with this unit, how hands-on he was with bringing all of these receivers to campus and, and you know making that really uh, proactive move and firing Taylor Stubblefield and bringing in Marcus Higgins that we're here you know one day shy of November of 2023 and you're at risk of letting the season slip away from you without really ever finding that grasp of what this 2023 receiver room is or can be or, or could have been. Exactly. And and you pair that with the fact that you were elevating a, a former five-star recruit to be your quarterback. I, I think that things seemed like they were very aligned for this group to, to take a jump. And I think that one lesson for me is maybe a quarterback can't quite elevate his wide receivers. So maybe that that's something that you shouldn't put too much stock in moving forward. I think that's probably something I'm going to have to think about when, when evaluating quarterbacks. But I, I think that it, it leads to a ton of chicken and egg type things. You know, we, there's all these things where it's, well, Drew Aller isn't trying to make these throws. Um, you know, we've seen them play things pretty safe. Then you're hearing things about the wide receivers not being able to get separation. Um, I think everything is is pretty interconnected when it comes to that passing game. But it just feels like that. I think James Franklin kind of mentions it every, every time he's asked to evaluate Drew Aller. You know, yes. He was asked about it again today. And he said, you know, he's developing nice, nicely physically. It's coming along nicely mentally. Penn State needs to make plays for him. And then he also said that Drew Aller has some stuff that he needs to to work on too. But every time you hear something about how yep. the the supporting cast needs to step up, needs to make some plays. I mean, we saw it on that drop that Keandre Lambert Smith had. You know, that was just such a a nice throw by Drew Aller. Put it right on his guy. It would have been a completion in a big spot, and Keandre Lambert Smith couldn't haul it in. Now he bounced back nicely, which for someone who we've talked about the mental side of the game for so long. That's really nice to see, but that's kind of the, that felt like a little bit of a microcosm with how things have gone for Drew Aller this year, where you see him finally take a little bit of a shot downfield, play design works, someone's open, it's on target, and the wide receiver can't haul it in. So I, I'm going to be interested to see how this looks on Saturday. Do we see more Caden Saunders? Do we even see Omari Evans at this point? Do some of these other wide receivers who we're not even talking about? Do they finally get a look? Now, Anthony Ivey made the travel roster to Ohio State. I think that might have been the first time that we've seen him on a travel roster. Um, Don, or Christian Driver. <laughs> Christian Driver was uh, was also on that as well. Um, so there are guys there um, that, you know, maybe you maybe you go that deep to look for something. But I, I really don't know at this point. It's 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 I think there's a couple of things there. You, you, you're right to mention every time Drew Aller's development seems to come up or every time that maybe the passing game frustrations come up and it's the question is steered towards the quarterback. James Franklin does a good job of steering it at least back toward or, or kind of finding a balance in saying he needs guys to make plays for him downfield. It was one of the first things he talked about when asked about Drew Aller immediately after the loss at Ohio State in Columbus. And he brought it up again today when asked about Drew Aller's development. Um, so and Liam Clifford, I mean, we're talking about all these names. This is a guy who entered the seat. I believe he was announced uh, as a starter on the Jumbotron pregame before West Virginia. Uh, he had a big catch uh, on the road against Illinois. Uh, and I think you noted that the 
can't really remember a lot from him since then um, in terms of, of, of big moments. I think he had a chain mover against Northwestern perhaps, but he's now to the point where we're in late October and he's not getting any run on offense. And, and you know, James Franklin, the door was open today. If you wanted to note, you know, maybe other issues that were hampering a player's ability to get on the field. I, I, I specifically brought up Liam Clifford's absence, Omari Evans' absence, and Caden Saunders as part of my question. He did not specifically identify anything with any of those guys. So that leads you to believe that based on the rest of his answer, practice looks and, you know, missed assignments and games before and, and those kind of things have accrued. And that's where they're determining who is being used. I think that the concerning part is here, and I'm kind of wondering about Drew taking those shots downfield, is how many times has he won those shots downfield, targeting his receivers against this defensive backfield? Because James Franklin also always references with these receivers while they're working up against these great cornerbacks. And you know, we're evaluating them on a, on a pretty high, you know, pretty high uh, level here against uh, our defensive backs and against our cornerbacks and safeties. And so Makes me wonder a little bit, could some of Drew Aller's hesitancy in taking these you know, shots downfield be correlated with what he has seen happen on the practice field when he makes those attempts? Because we're not seeing receivers in game action get separation against secondaries that we don't believe are as good as the Nittany Lions. Just something that came up to mind today when, when, when James Franklin takes it in that direction. We're not seeing a lot of these receivers win those matchups against the Indianas uh, you know, and Northwesterns of the world. Is Drew Aller confident in that group going up against the Nittany Lions defense that many believe might be the best in the Big Ten Conference? So food for thought there. Uh, a lot to work through with this passing uh, uh, passing attack. And I think one thing we can get into here as well, Daniel, is the defense because it was an uncharacteristic uh, outing for that defense. Uh, some lapses, uh, three long touchdowns for Indiana, including two from, from their side of the field in a 90-yard play. Um, James Franklin told us after the game, you get the same sense uh, uh, from the press conference here on Tuesday that he's not worried about this defense. He knows who they are. Uh, there were some you know, tough conversations. They had to be honest about the situation. He says Devon Ellis stepped up and, and was really honest uh, with the players, and, and Manny Diaz was as well. So we heard from Zaki Wheatley, uh, and he was very honest about the situation. He's a guy who, who only played one defensive snap, and it was on that 90-yard pass play, and he was very involved in that pass. Uh, so you know, Zeke Wheatley even said, you know, taking ownership of that moment and, and, and this defense moving ahead. Daniel, what do you make of it going against uh, one of the higher quality quarterbacks that they will face here in 2023? Maybe without Chop Robinson, maybe without Amin Vanover. We're going to wait and see on those guys, what we see on the practice field on Wednesday. They did not pop up during the press conference conversation. But let's face it, the defense has something to prove after what happened against Indiana. Yeah, I mean... I almost feel like the kind of the the defense was talking a, a little bit of a you know a pretty big game going in, into Indiana. I mean, you predicted them to shut out the Hoosiers. Uh, Why do you think... gotta, come on, man? <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're not going to no, talk I'm about. Good. And part of that was because of what we were hearing from those defense. I mean, they sounded like they were ready to smash the turf with Indiana Hoosiers players. Maybe they were a little too, yeah. You know, maybe they were a little too ambitious. I don't know. Whatever it was, that was not the same defense that we we watched through two months of the season, almost. Exactly, and and I feel like that there's a better chance we'll see that this weekend uh, against Maryland. I think after you know refinding your footing kind of resetting after a game like that. Um, but I think that they're they're not going to be able to afford to have the, those kinds of mistakes because the talent level on the Maryland offense is higher than what you saw from Indiana. I mean, Talia Tungavailoa is a better quarterback than Brendan Soresby. You look at Jay Sean Jones, Ty Felton, Caden Prather. 
Um, I think I would take those wide receivers over Indiana's wide receivers. Um, you know, Corey Deitches is a, is a weapon at tight end. Roman Hemby is a running back that they've gotten involved a lot more in the passing game this year. I, I think that Maryland has more weapons uh, than Indiana. So, you know, I think that if you make those same kinds of mistakes, they're going to make you pay again. And then if you make some mistakes that Indiana, where Indiana wasn't able to make you pay, Maryland might be able to do that to you. But I, I think that this defense, uh, yeah, James Franklin kind of said what I felt like coming out of the game, that th- those the mistakes that Penn State had that led to those Indiana touchdowns, it was pretty you know, pretty anomalous. Like it wasn't the norm. I think James Franklin said that he didn't come out of it feeling particularly worried about what he saw on Saturday. I, I don't think it's anything that signals like a long-term issue. I think it's just, you make two mistakes, you miss two assignments. James Franklin said one of them was a blown assignment and then you, you have to pay for it. I mean, that's kind of life in the big 10 that that's life in college football. Um, so I think that Penn State really they do have to clean those things up because Maryland will make you pay, Michigan will make you pay. Um, but I think that overall the defense is just you know in a good spot. Yeah, the Von Ellies, along with addressing the team and, and making an uh, impactful uh, statement that way, he spoke with us on a Tuesday morning here on a call and, and seemed to really feel like there was value from their film review. You'd have, have to imagine many of these Sundays they've been getting together, high fiving and, and laughing and saying, "Look at that play we made." This one was a little bit different. There was some, you know, egg on the face across the room a little bit, including the coordinator himself when you come out of a game like that. So I'd have to imagine, if, if anything, this is kind of going to be a wake-up call for them to, to get right for the final month of the season. Now, the offense has had several wake-up calls, and, and the problem is that 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 persists. I think that we think the defense will be able to find its footing, but uh, I think we'll have a pretty good indication early against Maryland because this is a quarterback and an offense that has been shut out by the Nittany Lions in recent memory, but they've also taken it to the Nittany Lions defense in recent memory. So uh, just a few days away from that one in Saturday in College Park. Daniel, speaking of Maryland, this was a matchup that you go into October and both these teams are unbeaten and and you kind of feel the juice coming from College Park as this one builds up. I, I look back to that September 2019 matchup when Penn State goes down and, and, you know, they're on beating at the time. Maryland's on beating at the time. I think Maryland was right on the fringe of top 25 status and they had the blackout. And by halftime, most Maryland fans are to the exit doors trying to get drunk in the parking lots because, you know, Sean Clifford, first year starter, all that, they, they took it to them and it was a blowout situation. And now here we are and Maryland's not even going to get that buildup. They've lost three straight games before the Penn State matchup. They're 0-4, I believe, coming out of bye weeks under Mike Loxley, and then that you know carried over into last week, a surprising loss for them against the Northwestern team. Daniel, this is uh, your old campus. Uh, I'm curious what you're hearing coming out of College Park because we talk so much about Penn State having a look-in-the-mirror kind of moment here at 7-1 and coming off a win. What is Maryland dealing with at 5-3 and following three straight losses? You think back to halftime of that Ohio State game. Uh, you know, I was we were on the bye week, but I had it on, and you're looking at a tie game in the second quarter, and you know, your head starts to go to like, okay, like that that first weekend in, in November, yeah, you know, that could be two seven and one teams, two eight no teams. You know, if you've really let your imagination go at that moment in time, um, and you know, since then, oh, Maryland has just, I think, really fallen falling apart in, in a couple ways, especially when you look at who they've lost to, you know, they lost to Illinois and Northwestern two teams that we got looks at in person this year. And 
didn't really come away super impressed with either of them. You know, each of those teams had players who had nice individual performances against Penn State, but there was nothing that we saw in, in the total product that really made us think like, oh, this this team's a threat. You know, there's really something here. And Maryland got tripped up by both of them. Um, you've got some off-field stuff happening at Maryland too. You know, Kevin Sumlin, uh, who was on their coaching staff, he got arrested for DUI over the bye week. And that's another thing to kind of factor in there. Um, and this has just been kind of the trend uh, for Maryland. I mean, going back beyond Mike Loxley to the short time that DJ Durkin was there, even going back to Randy Edsel. I mean, when I was a senior at Maryland, they were 4-0 and through the first month of the season, ranked number 25, and then go and lose 63 to nothing to Jameis Winston and finish the year 7-5. and um, You know, I, I think that you it really shows you the difference between a program like Penn State, like Michigan, like Ohio State that has really been able to build up depth in addition to having good coaching. Uh, you know, where Penn State, we've talked about these injuries and when guys are banged up, they have people who can step up and kind of keep keep everything churning, and keep everything floating as it goes on. You know, I felt like Maryland over these past few years, especially on the lines and the trenches, is that they really get worn down over the course of the season and you start to see the bottom fall out. Um, so it's it's going to be interesting to see what Maryland comes to play on on Saturday. I think in my short time covering Penn State and kind of being adjacent to the program at my previous job, um, I think that one thing I've noticed is that you, know, you talk a lot about the hangovers and Ohio State beating you twice and everything. And I think that's something that's been very real under James Franklin. But I also think that kind of when these games are in the vacuum uh, and when they're not, you know, butting up to anything, you know, super, you know, pressing, I think that these teams always come out prepared. I feel like that I've never seen a Penn State team really get caught looking ahead they might get caught looking back a little bit, like we almost saw against Indiana, but I don't think that they're going to be looking past uh, Maryland, especially after having that close call against Indiana. So Maryland, I think I'm really interested to see if Mike Loxley can pull them out of this slide. Um, you know, that's something that in the past we haven't, it feels like Maryland has kind of snuck in the bowl eligibility every once in a while. Um, and that's what they're fighting for <laughs> right now because they are five and three with uh, Penn State, Nebraska, uh, Michigan, and Rutgers remaining. So that's going to get dicey. That's a team that I think kind of has to decide how it wants its season to go. Yeah, you could see them finishing out in Piscataway at five and six and needing a, a bowl, <laughs> needing a win to get to a bowl game after a five and zero start. I mean, if people haven't been paying attention, Nebraska is suddenly winning football games and Maryland's got to go play them. They've got Michigan, they've got Penn State. So yeah, good luck finding wins uh, if Penn State handles its business uh, on Saturday. Uh, Daniel, let's finish out before we get to Tyler Calvaruso on a bunch of recruiting notes. Uh, the college football playoff rankings make their 2023 debut on Tuesday night. Uh, Penn State, obviously, with a loss against them, they're going to need some help to jump back into the thick of things over the course of the next month, and they're not going to be able to pick up a second loss if they want to stay in the conversation. When you reviewed things, and I know you had a story up at lines247.com here earlier Tuesday, where do you see Penn State landing, and, and how do you think kind of when they go shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder against some of these one-loss teams – they kind of uh, stand out or do they kind of fall back to the pack? Penn State comes into this rank number nine in the AP poll and the coaches poll. Um, I think that there's a chance that they'll probably be around 10 or 11 
in the college football playoff rankings when um, you know those get announced on, on Tuesday night. I, I think that part of it has to do with Penn State's lack of ranked wins. I looked at some projections, and you know, Georgia and Michigan aren't projected to have any ranked wins. Uh, but you look at what those teams have done <laughs> in terms of handling their business, being impressive, you know, no losses, um, and and things like that. Whereas with Penn State, they have that loss against against Ohio State on there, um, and they're going to need a little bit of help, I think, with their resume. You know, you look at Iowa and West Virginia. Iowa six and two, uh, West Virginia's five and three. If both those teams keep winning. Maybe you could see them hovering around in, in the twenties a little bit. Um, I always, I use, I always used to joke with the CFP rankings that there's always some Big Ten team because of the way that the because of how imbalanced the conferences are. It felt like there's always some Big Ten West team that the upper tier teams played, and that team would get ranked just slotted in there at number twenty five to help the resumes a little bit. I felt like all, Northwestern was always like number twenty five. And it would boost the resume a little bit, um, but and I think Penn State needs you know, Iowa or West Virginia to to sneak in there to make things better. Um, but I don't know. You you look at things moving forward, and I think it paints the picture that Penn State is you know, really needs to beat Michigan. They're going to need some help, and you know they're going to need some help elsewhere in the conference uh, or elsewhere in the in the country because some of these SEC teams they've got two ranked wins on their resumes. They're going to have the chance to to make things look better. Um, but yeah, I, I think that they'll be hovering around that, that 10 range. I mean, I, I do think this is a top 10 team, but wouldn't be a surprise to see them around 11 um, with some of the teams ranked behind them in the AP poll uh, ahead of them in the CFP. Yeah. I only recall one year where Penn state uh, was in the debut top four of the college football playoff back in 2019. And they followed that up with a loss on the road against fellow unbeaten mini, uh, Minnesota. Um, so, so it's always been kind of a, they have ground to make up in November situation, but when you've got the number two team in the country coming to your home stadium in a matter of a week and a half, that's a huge opportunity. And no matter how everyone's feeling about the Michigan matchup or even the Maryland matchup right now, you got a shot because of what the path is laid out in front of you. So Daniel, appreciate the perspective. We'll get an answer on, on the initial placement for Penn State in those rankings tonight on a Tuesday. We're going to jump over recruiting right now, but I'll catch up with you on the practice field Wednesday, and people can check out all the content you've got coming their way at, at lions247.com. Thanks, Tyler. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. As promised, we've got recruiting to get to now, and the Nittany Lions were busy on Saturday, not just playing the Indiana Hoosiers, but hosting a bunch of prospects. Tyler Calvaruso was doing great reporting on the buildup of that confirmed visitors list, and since then, working to get feedback from everyone who was here on campus. Tyler, welcome back to the podcast. Feels good to be back, man. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. So we got a, a few things to get to. We're going to look up toward New England, where there is always uh, interest on the recruiting trail for the Nittany Lions. We'll talk about some of those names, including a commit. 
but I want to get into this past matchup because it feels like it's been a while since we had a collection of recruits of, of great significance on campus. I don't want to really shortchange everyone who was around for the UMass game, but it was not the list uh, by any means that we've seen game by game by game. And then you factor in a bye week and some road games. It's been a little while. So let's start with, with the 2025 names to monitor here and included uh, at a DePaul Catholic, Desi Jones, a top 200 prospect in that 2025 class. Uh, one of the premier wide receivers in the region, a few wide receivers that we'll get to here, but we'll start with Jones. First trip to campus for Jones since he visited for the season opener against West Virginia. Toyed around with the idea of visiting for the whiteout, but he had a family party to attend that weekend, so that one did not come together for Penn State. It's always notable when Desi Jones winds up making it to campus. You know, there have been multiple times where it seemed like he was going to make the visit only for something to come up. And when he does make it, it's important because he is one of Penn State's top 2025 wide receiver targets. Things have been going well there for Penn State, I would say. You know, they continue to get Jones back to town, so that's always a plus. You know, there are a lot of people at Paul Catholic who feel Penn State is a top contender to land Jones. He's got a lot of really quality options. His offer list is impressive. He recently visited Ohio State. He was actually at Ohio State. I believe it, believe it was when they played Penn State, so I believe the previous weekend. I'm going to have to go back and double-check that to make sure, but – he keeps, you know, trending in the right direction. We got him ranked pretty highly well inside the top 24-7 in our 2025 rankings. I got the chance to see him in person when they played Bishop McDevitt to open their season. He had a monster game, you know, really a couple big plays, had a touchdown that night. So you could see why Marcus Higgins of the Penn State staff is high on Desi Jones. So when you talk about the visitors from this past weekend, Jones is one of the top names who was in town. Things seem to be going well there. It's one that we're going to continue to monitor heading into the winter. When will he be back? We don't know quite yet, but I would expect him back at some point for sure. And DePaul Catholic, they, they've produced some significant power five talent uh, in recent memory. And he is the all time uh, record holder for sophomore receiving yardage. He went over a thousand yards last year as a sophomore did Jones helping put himself on the map. And as you said, Ohio state has offered Texas put it out an offer this summer. So it, it's a national recruitment and he was back in town elsewhere at the wide receiver position. We'll go over to Christian brothers Academy in the state of New York, Darian Williams. He's got some power five offers. Coach prime has put an offer on the table for him. Uh, so as Penn state, what do we make of Williams and his experience here? So he had a really good visit. Yeah. You know, he picked up his offer from Penn state on Friday night and less than 24 hours later on Saturday afternoon, he's inside Beaver stadium. He was telling me this was a visit that he really always wanted to make. He camped at Penn state during the summer, had a really great experience during his time in state college, got to know the staff a little bit that day, enjoyed working with Marcus Hagans. And really from that point on, you know, Penn state was a school that had definitely caught his eye and one that he wanted to see if they would take on a bigger role in his recruitment moving forward. That obviously happened with an offer coming in. Really just an overall positive experience for me. He told me Penn State's at the top of his list coming out. And he is starting to receive some more Big Ten interest. Rutgers is going to host him for a visit shortly. And I believe Maryland – yes, it's Maryland that is also showing some interest in Williams. His father actually was offered by the Terps back in the day when he was a high school recruit. He lives 20 minutes from Maryland's campus. So there's an element of intrigue as well there if Mike Loxley and his staff decide to offer. But right now, it, Penn State is the program standing out to Williams. Again, that 125 wide receiver board is still coming together. And I think the evaluation of Williams is still coming together as well. So we're going to have to see where he falls at the end of the day. But Penn State got a chance to make a positive first impression this past weekend, and it did exactly that. 
We, uh, we, we spend a lot of time talking receivers on the podcast these days, and uh, let's talk about another one. Nashawn Montgomery, a third receiver recruit to get to here on campus. He's another top 200 overall talent in the 2025 class. He came long distance from Cardinal Newman in West Palm Beach, Florida, the number 19 wide receiver in 24-7 sports rankings. He got about 30 scholarship offers to his credit. So, uh, and originally from Rhode Island, well, let's note that as well. Not, not necessarily a South Florida, uh, born and raised native. What do we make of this guy, Nation Montgomery going a long distance and it's an unofficial visit when you're that age. Uh, and, and what do we think about Penn state's placement in his recruitment process, which, as I said, down in Florida features about three dozen teams. Yeah, that was a pretty important note that you just dropped. He is a Northeast native. You know, he's not your traditional Florida recruit who has that kind of intrigue and pull to the local programs down there. So that's not an element of Montgomery's recruitment. Now, let me say this as well. Nashville Montgomery can play pretty much anywhere in the nation. That That's how talented of a player he is, and that's what his offer list is looking like right now. So that's why it was important for Penn State to get him back on campus this past weekend. And actually, it got him on campus for a couple of days because Carl Newman had a bye week. So Montgomery and his quarterback, Jaron Hughley, who is Jaywan Sider's nephew, they made the trip. They got in town on Friday, stayed Saturday through the game, both positive experience for them. But when it comes to Montgomery, I just feel like this visit was about him continuing to build his relationship with Marcus Hagans, you know, as a guy who hasn't been around a whole lot compared to some of Penn State's other 2025 wide receiver targets. He was last on campus in April. Penn State had been trying to get him back, came together this past weekend. I received plenty of positive feedback coming out of this visit from Montgomery. He told me he had a great time. And I think the Nittany Lions will remain in contention moving forward. I do think it'll be a difficult pull for the Nittany Lions, but they're in the race. And I feel like at this juncture of Montgomery's recruitment, that's kind of all they could ask for because there still is a long way to go. He's still figuring out where he's going to be in the winter when it comes to visits, spring when it comes to visits. And once official visit season rolls around, he's still sorting through that as well. But Penn State is under consideration with Montgomery right now. Well, I'll tell you what, Montgomery comes up to campus in late October. Right now it's freezing out here. It's like, you know, low 40s. Yeah. I got to take my, my little unicorn princess out trick-or-treating tonight. It's going to be very cold. It was like 70 degrees uh, on campus on Saturday when he was up here from Florida. So that timing worked out pretty well to make a, a solid impression on, on the South, uh, South Florida prospect. Uh, let's talk about one more visitor from this matchup. And there's a lot of coverage on others at lines247.com for our VIP subscribers. But a new offer went out, and it's in-state, 2025 uh, linebacker Alex Tache. I hope I'm saying that wrong. Uh, right. If I'm saying it wrong, it's our first time. Uh, we'll get it right the next time. But whenever they're offering an in-state linebacker, you're going to be like, okay, who is it? And what's he all about? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's uh, that's pretty much where things have been at with him for a little bit. You know, Penn State staff has been monitoring him for a while. You know, they want to maintain that presence in Western Pennsylvania. And with him playing at Greater Latrobe, yeah, he was a guy who, caught Penn State's eye in a pretty big way with his production throughout his junior season. He visited for the whiteout against Iowa, so this was not his first time on campus this season. But So he's already garnered a little bit of familiarity with the staff, and then he just continued to build on that this past weekend. You know, you have to figure, and we always talk about Penn State when it comes to the in-state offers, they don't throw them out there like candy, man. You know, if they go out, they open your eyes because there's, you know, some legitimate juice behind them. So... I think this recruitment is going to be one that we have to keep a really, really close eye on moving forward. You know, that 2025 priority board is still, you know, it's still in the works. The cycle is still early. You've already got DJ McClary on board at linebacker, but I'd anticipate, you know, in-state offer, highly productive in-state offer at that. It's going to be one we're talking about a lot 
moving forward. So Alex Tash, he's a really good player, man. You, you turn on the film, you can see why this offer went out. And it, I think the feedback that we got from him when he got the chance to catch up with uh, Brian Doan, it was all pretty positive for Penn State as we were anticipating. Yeah, a bunch of feedback uh, on that offer, what it means for him at lines247.com. And uh, more locally, even than Penn State, Pitt has put out an offer. West Virginia has put out an offer. Your old friend Brent Pry at, West, at Virginia Tech has offered. Wisconsin, uh, Duke, Cincinnati, some of the other opportunities on the table for the sophomore linebacker at Latrobe. Uh, one more name to get to. I think I said that was the final one. I lied. We're going back to Florida. Uh, Dia Bell, he was the big name that we discussed in our preview podcast before the Indiana matchup, a quarterback who's certainly on the rise at American Heritage High School in Fort Lauderdale. Got a few Power 5 offers. Florida, Miami are among them down there. He's also a big-time basketball player. His dad, Raja Bell, played in the NBA at a high level for 12 years, known for his defense, and he was in the stands. Uh, Tyler, what do we think about the impact here? And Is Dia Bell a guy, although he's playing a 1,000 miles away in high school ball, that you think we'll be seeing again in Happy Valley? I think so. Based on what he had to say to me post-visit, I think so. I feel like the relationships with the Penn State staff, specifically the offensive staff with Mike Gertrude and Daniel O'Brien, are coming along really nicely. Bell's been telling me most of his contact that's come with O'Brien, and that relationship has gotten to a point where you know they can discuss really anything. It's not just about football with them. They've garnered a pretty you know, they just, there's just a lot of comfortability there at this point. That definitely works in Penn State's favor, given the fact that O'Brien is taking on more and more of a role you know, as a graduate assistant or yeah, and you know he he he's played such a big part in Penn State's quarterback recruiting since he joined the staff, and you're seeing that with Dia Bell. So that's a positive for Penn State. Seems like he likes the offensive scheme in general as well. It's one that he feels that he can fit in. So that's obviously something that you know Bell, being a quarterback, he's keeping a very close eye on that throughout every visit he takes, not just his trips to Penn State. Every visit he takes, he keep, he's keeping a really close eye on scheme fit. He sees it at Penn State. Now he's at 2026, 20, and there's going to be a long way to go. He plays at a Florida power, so you're going to have the Florida school sniffing around. They've already got offers out to him, so that's going to be a factor that we have to keep an eye on. But I would anticipate Bell as a guy who definitely makes it back to campus for another visit, whether that be in the winter, the spring, the summer for another camp. Who knows right now? That's something that's you know still very, very fluid. But Bell, he, when it comes to that 2026 20, quarterback board, he's up there, and he will remain on there, I'd anticipate. I mentioned that we're going to get into some New England recruiting conversation because uh, you know, Penn State doing pretty well there this cycle. They've, they've hit it pretty hard the last few cycles. There are more names to know moving forward. But just as we were recording here, you sent me over a text and Zahir Mathis, who we have seen on campus. We saw him walking around uh, the camp uh, field a few, uh, I think it was last summer. We did not see him participating that particular day, but you could see from the eye test why he was uh, having Power 5 teams swarm. Number 80 overall player in the top 24-7 rankings for the class of 2025 out of Imhotep in Philadelphia. He is the number one rated player for 24-7 sports in Pennsylvania for that cycle. And he did not put Penn State on a top five list that he just released on Tuesday afternoon. What do we make sense of this? And again, Mathis isn't exactly a guy that we had been seeing grow familiar with Penn State in recent months or years. You know, it's the lack of inclusion of Penn State in that top five. Frankly, it's not really a surprise. You know, there's been an SEC draw throughout Mathis's recruitment, and the kid has a great relationship with Deion Barnes. You know, mm -hmm. it's not about that. There are really just levels to this recruitment, and like I said, there is a draw 
to play in the SEC. Now, Penn State's going to see this top five. They're not going to be like, oh, well, that's it. We're not in the top five. That's, <laughs> you know, move on to the next one on the, on the defensive line. No, they're, they're going to keep at it with Zaheer Mathis. I, I mentioned that relationship with Barnes being in a good place. I mean, as long as you have that relationship, uh, you know, Penn State's going to have a fighting chance to, you know, maybe crack its way back into this recruitment. But right now, you know, Mathis, he hasn't been around. You know, he hasn't made any visits to campus recently. So that's notable. I, I think this is going to end in the SEC at the end of the day. I, I know he's still figuring things out and going through his process, but it just has that kind of feel to me at this point. So I, I'm not really anticipating Penn State being able to fight back in all the way and securing a commitment at the end. But the Ninja Lions are definitely going to keep trying, and Deion Barnes is definitely going to keep trying. Again, we're going to have to see how far that relationship can take Penn State in this recruitment. We saw it with Sione Lalea recently in this 2024 class, right? Penn State, you know, he had that relationship with Terry Smith, and that brought the Nittany Lions right down to the wire in that recruitment. You know, I think at this point, Penn State has to hope that the relationship with Mathis can at least, between Mathis and Barnes, can at least keep it within striking distance as his process continues to play out. Mathis, six foot six, 225 pounds, the number 10 overall edge rusher in those 2025 rankings. And he's still got 14 months ahead of him uh, before he puts pen to paper uh, with that early signing period in his class. And those top five, uh, we should mention South Carolina and Tennessee out of the SEC. You've also got Texas heading to the SEC, Florida State and Ohio State and round out that top five for Zaheer Mathis on Halloween. Um, let's go to New England now. Um, I know that wasn't the best news that people wanted to digest here in the center of our recruiting updates, but we don't always give the, the sugar-coated information here. So let's talk about New England, where there are a lot of possibilities. Brian Doan hit the road, made his uh, tour. He gets up there pretty frequently, and, and no one knows the recruiting scene up in New England like our Brian Doan, uh, which is great for us because we reap the benefits on our site, and so do our readers. And let's begin with the targets before we work our way toward a, a commit that he checked in on. And Adam Shoflin uh, was one of the most uh, aggressive, uh, at, you could say at least, defensive linemen that we saw in camp action this past summer as a rising junior from St. Thomas More in Oakdale, Connecticut. Uh, he's considered a top 50 defensive lineman in 24-7 sports assessment. He's a th high three-star prospect. Uh, he's a guy that I came away with very impressed uh, from some of that camp work. Penn State status and, and Chauvelin status with the Nittany Lions. Yeah, I liked him in a camp setting as well, and I think he, Penn State liked him in a camp setting as well. That 2025 defensive line board of Barnes is, is still sorting itself out. So Chauvelin, you know, he's definitely in the mix at the position. Hasn't been to campus in a little bit, but he's a Pennsylvania native, and he's told me, I mean, really, you know, he could just get down for a visit whenever it works out for him. So, you know, he that will probably occur at some point. He's kind of starting to narrow down his options a little bit too. You know, when Brian caught up with him, you know, he seems like he's zoning in on certain schools at this point of his recruitment, Penn State being one of them. So the Nittany Lions are definitely in that race. And again, that 2025 defensive line board, there's a pecking order. It's still coming together. And I feel like once his junior season wraps up and the full film is out there, I think we'll have a better idea of where exactly he stands in the picture. Um, and, and also at St. Thomas More, Jordan Houston, uh, a wide receiver prospect. I think he's labeled an athlete of 24-7 sports. But a guy who's seen the Big Ten offers start to come through. Uh, again, one of those juniors. Um, is this – you talk so much about the 2025 wide receiver board, and there's a bunch of names on there. How does he fit into that conversation based on what you know? I think that he's a guy who I would say, you know, maybe not in that priority point right now, but definitely – has the staff's attention because he attended the whiteout camp at the end of June. And I got the chance to really see a lot of wide receiver drill work that day 
And he was getting a lot of attention from Marcus Higgins, and he was getting pulled to the side, getting pointers, doing one-on-one work. And this has been an offer. This was a camp offer going back to last summer when he before Higgins was even in place. So the Penn State staff has known about Jordan Houston, who's a New York native. He started his career, actually, as teammates with Ty Blanding at uh, Christ the King in New York. So Penn State has known about him for a really long time. So there's definitely a fair share of intrigue with Jordan Houston. And it's really not a surprise to me that these Big Ten offers are rolling in for him. I think he's a really dynamic wideout. The testing numbers have been a positive. You know, he ran really well when he was at Penn State. Like I said, during drill work, he looked very, very fluid. His, his athleticism, you could just see it. You know, some guys struggle with camp drills. Houston wasn't one of them. Then once one-on-ones kicked off, he was solid there too. He won the majority of his reps. So he is definitely one of those names on the 2025 wide receiver board who, as things continue to play out, he'll be back and he'll continue to be on this, have the staff's attention. So from one of the premier prep programs in Connecticut, which, by the way, is a state you'll find the number one tight end in the country for the 2024 uh, class. That's Luke Reynolds. He's committed to Penn State at a Cheshire Academy up in Connecticut. He will be here on campus in January, adding to that tight end unit. Uh, but over in Massachusetts at the Dexter School, you find another Penn State commit, Liam Andrews, and one of the more intriguing members of this entire 2024 class. Initially, a big-time offensive line target for the Nittany Lions, ultimately a key defensive line addition for Penn State back in July. Really curious to hear what you make of Brian Doan's commentary coming off that visit with Liam Andrews. And now that we've got a couple months of him actually being on the field, what you think about his ability to come here to Penn State and truly make an impact on the defensive front? I think, I really think, you know, Brian's headline where it mentions Liam Andrews improving his technique, that's probably my biggest takeaway with this because given the fact that his focus was on the offensive line at the early stage of his recruitment and that, you know, took up a lot of his attention for a long time. He was always a really good defensive lineman at Dexter School. You know, everyone in the region knew that. But now that he knows and what, when he really started to desire to play the position at the next level, he's really been locked in on just getting better and better really every single day. Every time he takes a practice field, every time he gets a chance to play a game, I think improving his technique and just really refining himself as a defensive lineman and kind of, you know, calming down and, you know, just getting comfortable with all the responsibilities of playing the position. I think he's definitely taken some steps forward in that regard. That is something that the Penn State staff has really liked to see out of him because there is some pretty high hopes about what he's going to be able to accomplish when he makes it to campus. You know, he has continued to hold a pretty lofty place in our rankings despite the position change. And there's a reason for that. You know, he's coming along and his ceiling is high. Sometimes when guys change and they flip to the sides of the line, they drop a little bit in the rankings just because the fact of the matter is their ceiling on one side of the ball is higher than the ceiling on the other side of the ball. With Andrews, his ceiling is high on either side of the ball. And defensive line is going to be his home at the next level. And I think that – I really think that he's going to fit in nicely on that Penn State defensive line in a year or two being on campus. I really do. I, I think he's – I think he has the work ethic not to necessarily be a contributor right off the bat, but he could be one of those guys who when he does make it to campus and he goes through the offseason weight program and spring ball rolls around, then he gets going through fall camp. When his name pops up as, you know, freshman to know entering into the season, if that happens, wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. I think Liam Andrews has that kind of makeup. 
really the, the only defensive linemen that we've seen come into this program and and show up on the field as true freshmen have been the ones who you know had some pedigree coming in. I mean, Jamil Lyons is the latest one, and maybe he wasn't buzzed enough about, but he was a four-star prospect in in twenty-four-seven sports rankings. PJ Mustafer played as a true freshman; he was a top one hundred overall prospect. Adiza Isaac was a highly regarded recruit; he played as a true freshman. Zane Durant last year, but usually. Linemen are going to redshirt. That's typically the, the process is that, that both sides of the ball, you're going to see those guys take a year, maybe get four games of regular season work and then see what you've got in year number two. But we'll see six foot five, 260 pounds right now. Liam Andrews, the number 20 overall defensive lineman and a, a high, high four star just on the edge of top 100 overall status in 24 seven sports assessment. He's not the only lineman to keep an eye on there at Dexter. You've also got Hardy Watts, who's a year younger than Andrews. He's in that 2025 class, but considered one of the premier linemen in New England for that cycle. Uh, and he's also a guy who's got Penn State interested in, offered in uh, Maryland, Miami, Michigan State, uh, among the other offers that he has to this point. So South Carolina, Texas A&M, very national flavor with Hardy Watts. So what does it mean for Penn State to have one of his teammates and Liam Andrews committed? And what do you think Hardy Watts's prospect profile in New England as a junior with all those offers speaks about his talent level. Well, first off, when it comes to his prospect profile, I don't think we're going to have to worry about a late switch of a desired position at the next level. I, I think he's going to be sticking <laughs> on the offensive line, and he's a damn good one. So that works for him. Penn State has his attention. I think Andrew's being committed to the Nanny lines and those two being teammates at the extra school. It definitely helps. But the big thing with Watts to note is he he's pretty high on academics in his recruitment. You know, the academics of each school involved in his process, it's a very, very important thing to him. A lot of that has to do with the fact that he comes from a family with a pretty strong academic background. So it's kind of one of those values that's been instilled in him really from a young age. So it's no surprise that that's carrying over into his recruitment. I think Penn State's done a pretty good job pitching Watts so far. You know, they have hosted him previously. They're looking to get him back on campus and that's in the works. And he's going to be checking out, you know, that I mentioned the academics, you know, schools like Duke. You know, that's going to be a program that is on his radar moving forward. He's visited Vanderbilt. Again, another strong academic institution. He has had praise for the academics of those two programs. You know, Nebraska is in the mix as well. I know it's a little bit of a different ilk than Duke and Vandy, but it's still a Big Ten program that has Watts' attention. So I think Penn State has put itself in a pretty solid spot early on. I think the pitch on and off the field has been pretty positive. Andrews has had a lot of good things to say to him about the program and the program's trajectory. So that works in the line's favor, but we'll see when he makes it back to campus, how things go, because that is a recruitment that has a lot of parts to it that go beyond the football field. All right, Tyler, we spent a lot of time looking toward the future here, 2025, 2024 guys, even 2026 quarterback prospect, but let's take a quick moment here before we finish the podcast to review what's going on with the 2023 recruiting class for the Nittany Lions. It was the number 14 overall haul in 24-7 sports uh, signing day uh, rankings last winter. Uh, 23 total prospects came on board from that group. Of course, Mega Barnwell did not last long with the program, a tight end who was with the team for, for spring ball. Uh, but this is a, a bunch of players that we didn't think would show up and, and certainly not like the 2022 class, Tyler, where you had, by the time we got to November, rising national stars and, and Nick Singleton and Katron Allen. Uh, and you had Deny Dennis Sutton and, of course, Abdul Carter at linebacker. And, and you eventually need Drew Shelton to step up at tackle for you. It's a long list of guys who ended up burning red shirts last year, 10 of them. So far, there's four who have burned red shirts on the defensive side of the football. Safety King Mack. Cornerbacks Elliott Washington and Zion Tracy. And then you also have linebacker Tony uh, Tony Rojas. Now, Jameel Lyons hits a four-game red, red shirt threshold 
against Indiana on Saturday. He saw some limited work. Penn State was without top defensive end. Chop Robinson without one of the primary backups in Amin Vanover. So those are the five guys that we have seen play four games or more to this point. And we'll see if Lyons crosses it and joins that redshirt territory. Everybody else to this point in that freshman class is at two games or less. There are several players who have not played in a game yet. Tyler, what, what surprises you most thus far, whether it's an individual who's been able to get out there or not been able to get out there, and then collectively with this freshman unit? You know, to be completely honest with you, not a whole lot has really surprised me about this group. I think the one thing that I will say is Lions is definitely making an impact earlier than I thought he might. And that's not because I wasn't high on him coming out. I think me and you have always agreed that when we got to see Lions just around campus, you know, not participating in camp settings while a commit, but just showing up to these camps, he had he already had the bill of a guy who could play in the Big Ten. But you thought it might take him maybe a year or two to get going and crack that rotation. I mean, he's already been able to do that as a true freshman to at least some degree. So that's definitely a huge positive for his development, where he's heading. I think maybe that's the one thing that surprised me a little bit. But based on preseason, you know, some of the preseason feedback that we received, I think a lot of these guys are where we expected them to be at this point in the season. You know, maybe you could pinpoint Anthony Donka as a surprise to some degree as well, because, you know, coming in, we didn't talk about him a whole lot. We were obviously talking about the hot, really, really highly ranked guys in Javon Williams and Alex Birchmeyer. Donka kind of flew under the – and Jim Diono as well as a late riser. Donka kind of – he flew under the radar a little bit. But when it came to the feedback that we received throughout the preseason, I mean, he was one of Penn State's better true freshmen. That's, that's not just – better true freshman offensive lineman, better true freshman overall. So that was notable. So I think maybe you could classify that as a little bit of a surprise as well. But when it comes to the reps these guys have played, the situations that they've played in, I know a lot of the majority of the guys who've already burned red shirts, the majority of their reps have come on special teams. They've gotten the chance to play some defensive snaps, but you know, yeah. not really necessarily in high leverage situations. A lot of those guys have seen a lot of work on special teams. So I think really everything right now, it's kind of what I was anticipating based on some of the conversations we had during the preseason. And I'll say this, I think that it is still a really, really solid group that has the potential to make a big impact at Penn State. I think you're seeing it with some of the guys on special teams. Penn State staff, they're not running them out there if they're not confident in them, right? You know, you got to go out on special teams and make plays. All those guys have been able to do that. So there's a lot of confidence in this group. I think they're going to all continue to collectively come along. It, says, it probably says something about the, the holes that existed on, on the Penn State roster coming mm -hmm. out of the 2021 season when they went from, I think, you know, 5-0 and to 7-6, and six, and they lost a lot of guys to the draft and the, the, the talent they needed to kind of just get onto the field and figure out a way. Thus far, um, you know, they've been able to lean on a lot of their veterans, and unfortunately for Penn State, they don't have you know some shining star wide receiver freshman to turn to. They got Carmelo Taylor, who's a, a developmental speed prospect, smaller player, uh, a one-man wide receiver class. So when you think about positions that maybe could use someone right now immediately, you know, maybe some of your best prospects, you know, Andrew Rapier ends up in a tight end room that that's loaded at the top, and right now he's not available. He's been out the last couple of games. Elliot Washington and Zion Tracy. They both were involved uh, on defense for much of, of the uh, early season stretch. And uh, every week on special teams, Elliot Washington didn't play this past week. We don't know why, but he wasn't available. Uh, but at the end of the day, they're not playing on defense uh, right now. We go through the last couple of weeks. 
Uh, and, and only four total snaps in the last two games have gone to a freshman. Uh, so uh, it's, it's, it's pretty remarkable. That's Jamil Lyons. Everything else has been special teams coverage work. We saw Tony Rojas and Zion Tracy and Elliot Washington um, and King Mack and kickoff coverage recently. But again, it's it just been interesting that it hasn't spilled over for anyone it's really in terms of defensive game reps. And I guess that speaks to the health of the team overall. Um, but also, you know, it, it, it says something about, uh, I guess, just how Manny Diaz and, and how Mike Yurcich are evaluating the pros and cons of playing some of these freshmen. King Max stands out to me as a guy who would be playing a ton of defensive football for a lot of schools, and including Penn State, if they didn't have such a, a really you know good situation at safety. I think he was uh, 18 plus snaps at three different games here, Tyler. But he's now four consecutive conference matchups where they haven't used him on defense. Yeah. You know, they're sticking to their top four safeties, who they know, who they trust. And so you've got a lot of this talent brewing in the background, but not necessarily giving you a boost, maybe on the practice field, but not giving you a boost on Saturdays toward a Big Ten championship. And I'm curious to make uh, what to make of Alex Birchmeyer. You know, this is a guy, a guy I hope to be able to follow up, um, you know, as the season, you know, and get into December and you can have more conversations about, uh, you know, big picture stuff and developmental stuff. Alex Birchmeyer isn't really a name that comes up week to week for us right now in covering Penn State football, but Tyler, he's been relegated to the, the scout team, you know, every step of the way since we've watched this team. We've seen Anthony Donka have his moments early. They haven't loved him enough to burn his red shirt. They've gotten other uh, guards involved. They come up with other solutions at guard. But they, they got him involved early. They got Javen Williams involved early. We've even seen Chimdi Ono, who by all accounts was a, a relatively raw prospect coming out of, of high school. We've even seen him out there for a couple of games. And Alex Birchmeyer, in a lot of ways, we kind of viewed him as more of a, 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 a known commodity, I suppose, is the way to do it. Winning a couple of state championships on the wrestling mat, uh, big time college uh, high school career, big time college recruit. And yet we haven't seen him involved in game action. So I would point to, to Birchmeyer and the two running backs. You know, for me, yeah. as we as we get to December and we get a chance to look back, because those two running backs, Cam Wallace and London Montgomery, have been tucked away as well. We've seen them in practice. We haven't seen them on Saturdays. And Jaywan Slater, not just at Penn State, but is an entire career as a running backs coach, has never applied a red shirt to a freshman running back. He's about to do it to two of them. And it sounds like Cam Wallace has been ready to make an impact if called upon. I'm still curious if he's like an X-factor weapon that they take off the, the kid gloves and, and get him involved for a couple games, maybe involve him for some touches. But they're running out of time to do it. And it sounds like London Montgomery still has some ground to make up physically coming off that, that knee injury as a senior. So, you know, throw Carmelo Taylor in there. It's just interesting to me, Tyler, because so much of the freshman conversation right now isn't about – what can this team do to help the Nittany Lions win a 2023 Big Ten champ, a Big Ten championship? It's about what can this freshman class do to improve itself behind the scenes and then show up to spring practice next March and April and really start to assert itself up the depth chart. And I think that's a little bit tough for people to wrap their heads around because you look for all the infusion of talent, whether it's the transfer portal or the freshman classes to, to give you a leg up maybe and, and help you drive toward the college football playoff. And thus far, you know, even you look at the transfers and the impact, it's just a lot of familiar names for the Nittany Lions. Some of them have taken a step forward. Some of them have seemingly regressed, but we're not seeing that that big dash or big jolt of fresh names, fresh faces out there. You know, sometimes I think some collective recruiting classes, some just come along quickly compared to others, right? You know, every player who goes from high school to college, they got to take that jump and it's an adjustment for, you know, for some more than others, you know, it, it's a process and it's a process that the Penn State staff, it works to get these guys prepared to play, whether it be immediately or, you know, a little bit down the road this year, next year, 
it's something that the Penn State staff, you know, they make sure that these guys are ready to roll. You know, it's something that James Franklin has said publicly as well. You know, if you're not preparing, like if you're a freshman right now and you're not getting a whole lot of playing time, it is what it is. But if you're not preparing, like you're going to be on the field and playing a big role, you're not going to be ready when your number is actually called moving forward to take on a spot on the two deep there or even in the starting lineup. So all these guys are preparing to really take on bigger roles in the future. And yeah, it's, it's definitely been a class that hasn't made that necessarily instant impact like the 2022 class, but it's still one Penn state feels will be able to accomplish a lot down the road. So, you know, I think that what everything that we just talked about, it shouldn't be viewed as like an indictment of the Mm -hmm. class. You know, the fact that these guys aren't on the field right now, collectively making a ton of plays. I don't think that speaks to a lack of talent among the group by any stretch. I just think it's kind of a product of circumstance and guys coming along at their own speed. One other surprise, you know, just listening to you talk, I think one thing, one other surprise that kind of slipped my mind, just that I I thought maybe Tony Rojas might be a little bit more on the field because I mean, the offseason feedback with him was really glowing and he's still been glowing. There's no doubt. I just thought, you know, maybe at some point this freshman season, we'd play him. We'd see him playing a really big role in the linebacker rotation, not necessarily a la Abdul Carter, but, you know, maybe a little bit in that sense with the snap count. I think he's got the talent to be that kind of player. If it doesn't happen this year for him, I think it's definitely going to be next year. I'm really high on Tony Rojas and his ability to make an impact moving forward. What you got to remember here is if you want to get a freshman on the field, you've got to take somebody off yeah, the field. It's tough, that's, man. That's, the, that's the tougher part of the conversation, no. especially with a veteran laden roster. No doubt. Uh, right now, a lot of guys who have played Big Ten games in the past. And I'll just note this through October of 2023, 2022, Drew Shelton had about 20, 15, 20 total game snaps. He started at left tackle for you the last five games, including the Rose Bowl. Yep. So you'd never know when an injury above them on the depth chart could dictate us seeing some of these newcomers a little bit more prevalent in game action. But uh, I appreciate you giving us some perspective there. Uh, I, I, you know, Again, I, I want to follow up with you. You said we're not an indictment, just the, the, the dynamics of this roster right now. It's where the freshman class is. That's where the involvement is. I just thought it was a good time to kind of address yeah. that because we haven't had a chance to really do that on the podcast. I do a weekly piece that's uh, keeping track of the redshirt situation for Penn State. But here on the podcast, I thought it was a good time to look back. And who better to do it with than you who covered the class so well before they got here to campus? Tyler Cavaruso, great stuff. Plenty for our VIP subscribers at lions247.com. 30% off an annual subscription, $1 for one month. You'll get a good look at what Tyler Calvaruso does for us on a daily basis covering Penn State recruiting. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me back, man. Appreciate it. Fantastic work from Tyler. Before him, Daniel Gallen, both my colleagues at lions247.com. We're getting back to work over there now. We'll get back to the podcast on Thursday with a preview edition for the Maryland matchup. We'll take a closer look at what the Terps are bringing to the field, and we'll let you know what we saw and heard from the Penn State practice facilities on Wednesday night, all leading up to a 3.30 kickoff in College Park on Saturday. Stepping aside for now, thanks as always for watching and listening. My name is Tyler Donahue. This has been the Lions 24-7 Podcast.